Testing. Good morning. I'm live and wired. <laughs> and God is in the house. Amen. Uh, turn with me to uh, the book of James, chapter 5. Starting at verse 7. Therefore, be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until it receives the early and latter rain. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brethren, lest you be condemned. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. My brethren, take to the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord as an example of suffering and patience. Indeed, we count them blessed who endure. You have heard of the perseverance of Job and seen the end intended by the Lord, that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. James chapter 5. When I was preparing to teach this morning, I had several topics that I, I thought were good, and uh, actually three or four, and, uh, and I tossed them around, and, but nothing really settled on my heart, what I would teach this morning. And I muddled around for about two days, and just nothing felt right. And... A wonderful thought hit me. I think I'll pray. <laughs> so I got on my knees and I prayed that God would just make it clear to my heart what he'd have me teach. He said, well, you should have done that in the first place. Two days ago. <laughs> and uh, what he wanted me to teach almost came immediately to my heart. When I opened the word, it was just so clear as though Jesus was sitting there next to me saying, tell them, tell my church, I'm coming soon. And to be ready. You know, that's the theme of most of the New Testament. You know, uh, when I looked up Jesus' second coming, there was over 300 passages that taught on the second coming of Christ. And that was Jesus' message before he left his disciples. Be ready. Be ready. And he told his disciples, he says, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms, dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. Amen. And that's a promise the Lord said. He says, if it weren't so, I would tell you. Fend for yourself. Run for your lives. You're on your own. He said, no, I have to go. I have to send you the comforter. The biggest problem I believe in the church today is that we've had it too good, too long, and that we've fell asleep. We have our iPods, our Wii games, Playstations, hundreds and hundreds of TV channels on our big screen TVs. And we've been lulled to sleep. We're so submerged in technology today that everything seems to take our eyes off the Lord. The average Bible in every home is at least three or four, but hardly one is ever read. Bibles are taken to church on Sunday, maybe, and they go back on a shelf until next Sunday. 
And we forget. Jesus said, I come as a thief in the night. Be ready. Be watching. You know, in our world today, I believe we are taught to look at the world as though it's, we are living and slowly growing and slowly evolving that somehow we are evolving into a state of perfection. As though we are getting taller, better looking, brighter, more hair. (laughs) It's not what I see. You know, when I look at the state of the world today, I see just the opposite. I see we are devolving. We are going further and further into decay. And then we're slowly going into a state that we are coming to an end. And when I read my Bible, that's what I see. Because no Obama, or even if we replace him, is going to fix us. And only the Lord can fix us. And we are heading towards a time that the Bible calls a great tribulation. And you can see it all around you. You can see us heading to that place where every nut and nutcase on planet Earth has got a nuke. And they're itching to use it. And it's like, what do we do? What do we do? How do we control these guys? Well, we pray. We've got to lift it up. And I, and I hope, and I've prayed all week that the Lord would make this message really clear. That we would look up, wake up, and be ready. For the coming of the Lord is at hand. And I believe that's what he points out here. And when James wrote this letter to the saints, they were beginning to lose heart and grow weary. We don't lose heart here, though, do we? Yeah, we do. We often lose heart. We often forget. And we start running in our flesh. And uh, things happen to us and we go through trials and we lose heart and we say, where is the Lord in this? And this is exactly what was happening to the saints that James was writing about. He was saying, don't establish your hearts. Don't lose heart. The Lord is coming. Be ready. You know, persevere. And he uses the saints of old and the prophets as an, as a, an example for us as those that persevered and endured. Truth is, I wrote down, we can't even imagine the persecution that the church was going through at the time of James. And like I started off with saying, we've had it too easy, too good for too long. Because the saints in James's time were being stabbed to death, stoned to death, beheaded, crucified and being used as, as candles, human candles in Caesar Nero's court to light up his court. Yet they chose to, that it was better to die for Jesus than to live without him. And we have nothing today that, that threatens us. There's a church in China that's thriving and on fire for the Lord. And some of them do die for their faith. Oh, God help us that we would be on fire yes. like that in our town. That we can openly, on a Sunday morning, read the word of God. I broke this down into a study of uh, an outline of three temptations to avoid. Three examples to follow and four truths about the certain return of Jesus. 
Starting at verse 7, he says, Therefore be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for until it receives the early and latter rain. The first temptation to avoid is to become impatient. And you can use me as an example. I'm very patient. Joni says no. I'm one of those people that can stand in front of the microwave and shout at it. Come on! (laughs) Get done already! (laughs) I'll go into a a check stand line and I'll be eyeing all the other lines. Which one's moving the fastest? And then switch. And then I'll get behind that one that's really slow and she, she can't find her credit card and, and I lose every time. But what t- God taught, teaches us through these, we were driving to Twin the other day and, uh, and someone pulled out in front of me and it's like, oh, what are you thinking? And it's like, oh, should I pass them? Should I pass them? And it just dawned in all my frustration... I looked down, and they were going the speed limit. (laughs) And I thought in my heart, and I smiled, be patient. And, and, And it's through every single one of these situations that God is teaching us. Settle your heart. Be patient. Wait. You're in no hurry. Where are you going? And that's what James was saying. Listen, be be patient. Look at the farmer, how he waits. And I believe what James was saying was, this is the Lord our God. How he waits patiently for souls to be saved. For the precious fruit to ripen as he waits. He's long-suffering. And I often thought... If the Lord would have came back 20 years ago, I wouldn't have been saved. How many here would have been lost? How about 10 years ago? How many here would have been lost? Even five years ago, how many souls here would be lost without Jesus? How about today? Do you not know him? If he came today... Would you not know him? Would you be left behind? In chapter 1, you know, what I thought was how we know we need to be, we know we need to be patient. But how do we learn to be patient? The Lord says, be patient. It's a testing of our faith. When we go through trials, the Lord is teaching us Be patient. This is what James says. In chapter 1 of James, he says, My brethren, count in all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. And this is what Peter said in 1 Peter. In salvation you greatly rejoice, though now for a, a little while, if need be, You have been grieved by various trials. The genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, at his unveiling. And I I thought, what Peter was saying, he says, I learned to glory in my trials. Because the Lord was preparing me for something much greater. And one thing that hits me really hard is that all of the disciples learned to glory in their trials. And they they seen Jesus before their face. And Paul said, run your race. Run your races with endurance. Run your race as to win. And Peter seen them as being precious and perfecting his faith, as gold is perfected when it is put in fire. God uses trials to purify and cleanse the junk out of you and I's life. 
When we go through various trials, often our priorities change, don't they? No longer is that, that red sports car that important. No longer is that better house, that better garden, so important. God changes and, and, and takes our eyes and puts it back on him. Then all of a sudden, family is what matters. And we could see Jesus before our face. Is this battery dying? Is it okay? And we can see clearly the things that matter. Solomon, the wisest man in the world, was telling his son, he says, I have seen all the works that are done under the sun, and indeed all is vanity and grasping at wind. I had to chuckle because I thought, are, are we wind, wind graspers? Joni accuses me of being a cat whisperer. <laughs> but truly, I'm a, I'm a wind grasperer. But isn't it true? He was trying to tell his son, you can try to acquire and possess, but when you have fixed your home up until you got it just right, you just leave it for someone else. You never see a hearse pulling a U-Haul trailer, do you? Can't take it with you. <laughs> I've heard of people wanting to be buried with their car. But truly, you can't take it with you. You know, and I've seen people in our church going through trials, and it brings life into perspective, what we should be doing all alone. Looking up and being ready for our redemption draws nigh. In First Peter, why don't you turn with me in chapter three? Second Peter, chapter three. Starting at verse 1. He said, Beloved, I now write to you this second epistle, in both which I stir up your pure minds by way of reminder. And he says, That you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets, and that the commandment of us the apostles of the Lord and Savior, knowing that this verse, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lusts and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. For this they willfully forget that by the word of God, the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of water and in water by which the world that then existed perished, being flooded with water. But the heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by the same word, are reserved for the fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. I'll break that down to you. He said, there were scoffers then. When Noah was building the ark... He was preaching to them the word. He was saying, repent. God is bringing judgment on this earth. Repent and get back to God. And I'm sure he drew a crowd for a day or so, maybe a week, maybe even the first year. But for 120 years, Noah built the ark. And they begin to scoff and, and tease him and, and scowl at him. And they, you're just a madman. And he said, no. No, repent, get back to God. God is bringing judgment. And they thought, oh, you fool, you're a foolish old man. And the only ones that entered the ark was Noah and his sons and his son's daughters. 
And God sealed the ark. Now right before the flood and right before Noah, you have Enoch. And he preached the second coming of Christ. You read that in Jude. He says, the Lord is coming with ten thousands of his angels. And it's a perfect picture of the church. And it says, and Enoch walked with God and he was taken up for God took him. And I believe the church is going to be taken up. And that God is preparing a bride for himself. He is preparing hearts that will serve and love him. And then God is going to deal with Israel again on this earth. 144,000 Jews will be sealed by God till the end when he stands on this earth again and he brings his saints with him. Verse 8, let's look at James again. And you also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. The second temptation to avoid is growing faint-hearted and losing heart. And we do. And what James was saying is that you and I have a responsibility to establish our hearts in the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, because the, time, the coming of the Lord is at hand. Establish your hearts. And what James was saying is, know the times. Know the times. Look around you. He is coming. And I believe with all my heart that the time is upon us. At Jesus' first coming, Jesus did many miracles. He raised the dead. He, gave, he cleansed the lepers. He gave eyesight to the blind. He made the lame walk again. He fed the 5,000. And every time they would try to grab him and crown him king. And it says that he slipped out from amongst them because his time had not yet come. And over and over it says, and his time had not yet come. His hour had not yet come. But then one day, not only does he allow it, but it's been prearranged by the Father. And Jesus tells his disciples, go down into Jerusalem, and when you enter the city at the gate, you're going to find a donkey. Bring the donkey to me. And if anyone asks you what you are doing taking the donkey, say, the Lord has need of him. And, and Jesus got on the donkey, and he was riding into Jerusalem, and they were praising Hosanna, glory to God in the highest. And the Pharisees said, teacher, rebuke your disciples, for they blaspheme. And Jesus said, if these keep their peace, the rocks would cry out. And you understand that this was a day that would be fulfilled. Whether they praised him or not, the rocks would cry out. Can you imagine that, the first rock concert? <laughs> kind of wished he, wished, uh, he would have shut them up just for a moment. Turn with me to Luke 19 and let's look at this passage. Because it's so powerful and it's so important to us today. Starting at verse 39, he says, And some of the Pharisees called to him from the crowd, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. Is everybody there? 19? Luke 19, verse 39. 
But he answered and said to them, I tell you that if these should keep their silent, the stones would immediately cry out. Now as he drew near, he saw the city and wept over it, saying, If you had known, even you, especially in this your day, the things that make for your peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. A door was immediately shut on the nation Israel. He says, Now your eyes are shut. You rejected me, but now I close your eyes. It was the final rejection of their Messiah. What Jesus was fulfilling was Daniel chapter 9 to the very day that was predicted by Daniel. What, what he was fulfilling also was Zechariah 9 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you and is just in having salvation, lowly in riding on a donkey, a colt, a foal of a donkey. Let's read on. He goes, for the day will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you, surround you, and close you in on every side, and level you and your children within you to the ground, and they will not leave in you one stone upon another, because you did not know the time of your visitation. And what it brings to my mind is, Jesus held them accountable for recognizing the time of their visitation. That they would see. Not that they would know the exact day and have their banners out, but they should have recognized the day that he fulfilled it. Even the disciples, when they went and got the donkey, didn't recognize it until later. And it just really bring to my heart the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do we know the times? Turn with me to two chapters over, Luke chapter 21. And Jesus talks about this destruction of the temple. And what happened is Jesus was, uh, he lamented over Jerusalem. He said, how I long to hold you like a mother hen holds, it, holds its, its babes. I long to hold you, but you wouldn't have it. You reject me. And the disciples are just thinking, well, we need to cheer him up. He's having a bad day. You know, and uh, they say, Lord, look at the temple. Look at all the stones and its marvelous array and its design. Lord, isn't this marvelous? And he said to you, I tell you the truth, not one stone of this temple that you love will be left upon another. And this was prophetically fulfilled in 70 A.D., when the Roman government took siege of the city. And what the government told them to do is don't burn, don't destroy the temple. I want the temple. I want it standing. But in their zeal, they set it on fire. And what happened is all the gold from the temple melted into the floor of the temple. And they needed to get that gold. So what they did was removed every stone from another. And literally, there was not one stone left of the temple. They threw it down the hill. And this is what Jesus said when they asked him, Lord, when will these, when will these things be? And will be the, the signs of your coming? And I'm just going to take it at verse uh, 
24. And they will fall by the edge of the sword and be led away captive into all nations. And Jerusalem will be trampled by Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. And what he's saying is, there's a, there's, a, there's, a, there's a stretch right there. He says, it will be trampled by Gentiles. The temple will be destroyed. And he goes, and Jerusalem will be trampled by Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. And I believe with all my heart, gang, the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. In 1969, in our lifetime, the Jews took over Jerusalem. They occupy the Holy Land. Just like Jesus said. And for years people thought, nah, this will never happen. But in 1948 they became a nation again. And in 1967 what we call the Six Day War, Israel took back Jerusalem. It is no longer trampled by Gentiles. And I believe this is talking about us. And this is what Jesus says afterwards. He says, and, and there will be signs in the sun, in the moon, and in the stars, and on the earth, stress of nations, and with perplexity, the sea and the waves roaring, men's hearts failing them from fear and the expectation of those things which are coming on the earth. For the powers of the heaven will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with power and great glory. Now get the next verse. This is really important. Now when these things begin to happen, look up and lift up your head because your redemption draws near. These things are beginning to happen, gang. You know, it ain't as though we haven't always had earthquakes, but we can't rush to one earthquake and there's already one somewhere else taking place. And at such great multitude that it's never been recorded. Places that are supposed to be earthquake resistant are falling to the ground. And we're still trying to recover and clean up Haiti. We're still trying to recover and clean up uh, the gulf and New Orleans that still hasn't been rebuilt. And they've lost their business there in the gulf with the, uh, with the oil spill. I believe this time is upon us. And look what it says after this. He says, then he spoke to them a parable. Look at the fig tree. The fig tree is always a picture of Israel. He says, look at the fig tree and all the trees when they are already budding and you see and know for yourself that summer is now near. So you also, when you see these things happening, know that the kingdom of God is near. Assuredly, I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away until all things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will by no means pass away. And take heed to yourself, lest your hearts be weighed down with carousing drunkenness and cares of this life, and that the day come on you unexpectedly. For it will come as a snare on all those who dwell on the face of the earth. Watch therefore and pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape these things that are coming to pass and stand before the Son of Man. I believe he's talking about the rapture there. That we would escape these things that are coming upon the earth. Pray that you are found worthy. Jesus said, for now, your eyes are blinded, speaking of Israel. And Paul talks to the Romans saying, God's not done with Israel yet. God's not done with Israel yet. 
And he says to them almost the exact same thing. He says, For I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own opinion, that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles come in. Come in where? Doesn't make sense. The rapture, that the, that the church come in. And then God will save. And it's, the Bible says that Israel will all be saved. God's not done. Let's look at James again. Let's look at verse 9. He says, do not grumble against one another, brethren, lest you be condemned. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. The third temptation to guard our sense against is grumbling. We can skip this one, huh? Because we don't grumble here. <laughs> no, the truth is we do it. We do. You know, and, and, I, and I catch myself doing it, and I'm just cut to the heart. And me and Joni will say, let's pray. Because what we need to do is lift each other up. We need to encourage one another. And the one thing that stands out to me, of all sins, God hates complaining. He hates grumbling. He counts it as unbelief. Because when we're grumbling about one another, we're not trusting in him. And we're not believing that he can fix it. Because God is good. Amen. In 1 Corinthians, Paul warned them, saying, using the children of Israel who perished in the wilderness as an example. He says, do not become idolaters. We're not adulter idolaters, are we? No. We don't, we, don't, we, don't, we don't cherish that big screen TV in our living room, do we? And he says... And don't commit sexual immorality, as did some of them. And he says, and do not complain, and do, as did some of them, and were destroyed. And you might say, Fritz, I'm not an idolater. I'm not into sexual immorality. And you might be able to say that this morning. But are we grumblers? You know, like I said, I'm cut to the heart. This is what Charles Spurgeon said. He says, I choose not to do anything I wouldn't do if I knew it was the last hour of my life. Well said. I have come to a resolve in my own heart. I try not to say anything that I wouldn't say if I didn't know it was the last hour of my life. And like I say, I fail but I smile and I say, sorry, Lord, you know, because we need to pray for the saints. We need to help one another. We need to be those helpers next to one another and encouraging one another, lifting each other up. A kind word goes a long way. And if we think we can do better, do better. Maybe God's calling you to something. I believe all the signs point to Jesus' soon return. I believe everything is, looks like Jesus is coming. I believe that the, the fullness of the Gentiles has come in and soon departure, the rapture of the church is at hand. 
In 1 Thessalonians, Paul wrote, he says, We who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. But the coming of the Lord will come on some as a thief in the night. James says, behold, the judge is standing at the door. When the author appears on the stage, you know the play is over. Watch and pray. James was warning believers against becoming impatient, faint-hearted grumblers. If all you get from this morning is that we need to wake up. We need to know our Bibles. What does God's word say about his coming? Are we into God's word? Are husbands and wives praying with one another? Is our house a house of prayer? Is husbands praying for wives? Is wives praying for husbands? Is husband and wives praying for their children? Are husband and wives bringing their children in and praying together. The amazing thing when you read, when Jesus was tired and weary and worn out and had no time, he went up on the mountain and prayed. And we need that same fellowship with the Father. In Titus, Paul wrote, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for that blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Finally, James reads in verse 10, My brethren, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord as an example of suffering and patience. Indeed, we count them blessed who endure. We have heard of the perseverance of Job and seen the end intended by the Lord, that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. He uses Job as an example of one who persevered, and and we can do the same. Because Job lost everything. And the amazing thing when you read the story of Job, he didn't know why. He didn't understand what was happening to him. And when the last servant came to him, after he had lost everything, all of his possessions, all his wealth, all his animals, and he says, your, your sons and your daughters, they're dead. He goes, I alone have left to come and tell you. And it says that Job then arose, tore his robe, and shaved his head, and he fell to the ground and worshipped and said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave and the Lord taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And in all this, Job did not sin nor charge God with wrong. And then Job was uh, stricken with boils, painful boils. It was so bad that he took, looked for an object that he could scrape the boils off his skin. And his wife came to him and said, Do you still hold fast your integrity? Curse God and die. That's an encouraging wife, huh? <laughs> I wasn't supposed to look at Joni and him. <laughs> and he said to her, You speak as one of a foolish woman speaks. Shall we indeed accept good and good from God, and shall we not accept adversity? In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. And I'm going to give you a final example. In chapter 13, Job speaks to his friends. It says, Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Have pity on me, O you, my friends. For I know that my Redeemer lives, and he shall stand at last on the earth. And after my skin is destroyed, this I know, that in my flesh I shall see God. And Job never lost faith in God. 
And he says, use this, Job. We know how Job persevered and how God blessed him in the end. You and I have promises of God that we can just stand closely to, that he's going to bless us and he's preparing a place for us and he loves us. What can we know for sure about the absolute certainty of his coming? Number one, it is certain. And when you think not, he will come. Jesus said, I am coming to preserve a place for you. If it were not so, I would have told you. He is preparing a place for you and me. Is that not awesome? Number two, the day will be secret. In Mark 13, he said, and I will read. But of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, not, and only the Father. Take heed, watch and pray, for you do not know the time. It is like a man going into a far country who left his house and gave authority to his servants and to each his work and commanded the doorkeeper to watch. Watch therefore, for you do not know when the master of the house is coming, in the evening, at midnight, at the crowing of the rooster, or in the morning, lest coming suddenly he find you sleeping. And when I say to you, I say to all, watch. And I say desperately, we need to wake up. Number three, the return will be sudden. Paul said, Behold, I tell you, mister, we shall not all sleep, but we shall be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. Twinkling of an eye is a millionth of a second. Just like that, we will be changed and in his presence. How marvelous. Number four, the coming of the Lord will cause separation. And this is the one that tugs at my heart because it will be a time when many will leave loved ones behind. And if you have anybody that you haven't told, Jesus is coming. Jesus is Lord. Jesus saves. He's the only way. The free gift of God is eternal life. And it's only through his son. And I have to be honest. If Jesus came today, when I was studying this, I haven't done all I need to do. I would have regrets. And it says in Revelation that Jesus wipes the tears from our eyes. And I believe that's the tears that Jesus wipes from our eyes. It's those regrets. Oh, I should have told my kids. I should have set him down and told him he's coming. I'm going to read a story. Three men on a plane were on a trip to a far country. A boy scout, a minister, a genius, the smartest man in the world, en route to their destination. The engines of the plane began to fail. The pilot came out of the cockpit saying, the plane is going down and we have only three parachutes and there are four of us. I have three small children, a lovely wife. I have so much to live for. I can't go down with the plane. And he grabs a parachute and jumps out. The genius said, I am the smartest man in the world. I can solve many of the world's problems. I am a genius. The world can't afford to lose someone like me. He grabs a chute and jumps out of the plane. The minister looking at the boy says, I've lived a long, full life. I've served God my whole life. I have stored up treasures in heaven. I'm ready to meet Jesus face to face. And the boy, boy scout smiled and says, Relax, pastor. The smartest man in the world just jumped out with my knapsack. <laughs> Ha, ha, ha.
The real question is, are we clinging to a knapsack? Are we clinging tightly to Jesus and looking, praying, and believing that he is coming? I believe the cry of the harvesters has reached the ears of God. I really believe with all my heart we don't have time to waste. And if I'm wrong, I'm okay because I'm going to be watching and praying. And that's what I should be doing anyway. Let's all stand and close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we have read your word this morning. Lord, and again, we stand amazed. Lord, you have met us here. You have compelled us to wake up, look up, read up, and be ready. If you came today, would we be ready? And I must admit, Lord, I would not. Lord, uh, prepare us that we would have no regrets of those I love and have never told about you, Lord Jesus. Give us boldness, Lord, we pray. Stir our hearts, O oh God. Shake us over the pits of hell that we would not be willing that any should perish and go there, Lord God. Stir us up, Lord. Help us to be patient, establish in our hearts that we would, be, that we would not be found grumblers and complainers, Lord. That we would be found waiting for you. That our hands would be busy and our eyes set on you, Lord God. I believe it is time to look up and lift our heads. You are coming. Lord, uh, help us to pray for one another. Lord, help us to tell one another. Help us to reach out. Lord, for I know if we truly believe, Lord, it will change the way we evangelize. It will change the way we love one another. Yes. Lord, it will change the way we reach out. Lord, I just pray, Lord, be with us, Lord, and just uh, guide us and lead us, Lord, that you'd be glorified in each heart. In Jesus' name, amen.